Bienvenidos a Casa Hermosa here in sunny Long Beach, California. I'm Lee Sanger-Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I'm joined remotely by my illustrious colleague and co-host, Ben. How you doing, sir? I'm good. Uh, wait, did you say Long Beach? Yes. Well, yeah, and, and I changed it up from, uh, from uh, Handsome Headquarters to Casa Hermosa. Um, yeah. And there's been various uh, Handsome Headquarters over the years, San Francisco, uh, Oakland, California, um, and then when I lived, like I moved back to suburbia, I had a little apartment in Walnut Creek. I just changed it to sunny California, USA, because it just didn't sound cool or funny to be living in Walnut Creek, as wonderful as a, as a town as it was. Uh, and then, of course, it was, you know, New York City and L.A. So I've had, you know, all these uh, exciting, handsome headquarters. Um, and uh, but none of them have been my own, my own casa. So now that I have a permanent handsome headquarters, uh, we're calling it Casa Hermosa, which like I just looked up like house and handsome, <laughs> trying to find some <laughs> sort of a I don't speak Espanol. So trying to find some approximation of handsome headquarters. But of course, it also works out to just like house beautiful or beautiful house. So mm -hmm. I like that as well. Um, yeah, my Spanish is a little rusty. I used to know some good words. Yeah. For hey, handsome, closer than beautiful. But, you know, I, I like that most of Yeah. I, I think we have a listener in Spain, España. So uh, please, uh, at Internet Batman, hit me up with how to say handsome headquarters on Espanol. Um, mm -hmm. Or Catalonian. Is that, is, that like an, is, that a, is that like a dialect or is that Spanish? Different, they speak? different language. Different language. Okay. So if Catalan there's any, and Castellano. If there's any Castellano or Catalanos or just... No, we want... I would do Castellano. Up. It's the most Castellano? spoken in... Uh, yeah, LA right. is Castellano. Not, Castellano. Okay. See. Si. Not Catalan. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, here we are. I mean, I've been a, a gentrifier in, in, you know, in Oakland, Harlem, all over the place. Um, but the, being a gentrifier here in Long Beach is is interesting because in some way I am the, uh, as the church in Harlem said on its side, a sodomite interloper. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, when I moved in Harlem, there was a church and on the side it said, uh, beware sodomite interlopers. And I looked over at my wife and I'm like, I think that's us. Um, wow! Yeah, and, uh, and and you know, to their credit, uh, they're 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 right. I mean, you know, oral Wait, sex counts right? as the church, the whatever oh, church not that the was. Sodomizers. No, well, no, no, no. I, I think we're a hundred percent wrong. But so anyway, in some ways, I am a sodomite interloper. You know, coming here, but in other ways, this is actually um, my family returning to our home. Because mm. Amelia, my beloved wife, she, she grew up around here. My father grew up around here as well in Long Beach, California. And in actuality, um, when my family first came to California, uh, we were immigrants, uh, didn't have anything. Um, Papa John, he started like a hot dog cart. So, uh, you know, just, he was a street vendor, like, like many uh, street vendors uh, that, that work out of here in, in Southern California. And, uh, you know, eventually managed to achieve the American dream. He started his own small grocery store and was able to, uh, to raise two wonderful daughters. And, um, and 
so in some ways we are, this is our, these are our roots. These are our roots is, is Long Beach, California. So in some ways, you know, we've been here for a hundred years. So even though there are folks in this neighborhood who, you know, we're the newbies in some ways, this is like my family has been here for over a hundred years. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting um, dynamic. And in some ways I've become all that I hate because you know, the, the fact that I'd never made an offer on a house before in my whole life. And uh, I didn't really have much money saved up, but because I didn't have, I had great credit because I didn't have any debt and I had a good job because I went to college without having debt and um, had the opportunity to develop skills. Um, I was able to make one offer on one house and get it. Um, and, you know, it was a tough, tough thing, as you know, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it was pretty easy. So I feel like I just coasted into this home uh, using unearned power and unearned wealth. And um, like I said, I'm the guy kind of, I'm the guy who tried to convince my parents to give our land back to the Miwok Indians. And um, so how do I justify the fact that I now own this little parcel of, of land, this little box and this little, uh, little patch of grass uh, out front. Um, and so the way I, I, I see it is, is as such, um, this is Tongva land that I uh, am residing on. My, quote, ownership, unquote, of this land represents nothing more than a pledge by me to take good care of this place in exchange mm-hmm. for living mm-hmm. here, to uh, be a steward of this place. Um, and if there's times when, you know, someone's going through a rough time, to make sure that my, my doors are open, as it says in, in our testament, you know, uh, open your, your gates uh, wide, uh, Jacob. Um, so am I altruistic enough to <laughs> just give my house, just buy a house and then give it away? No, of course not. I'm, I'm still a, a selfish human being. But um, I'm, I'm trying to come to grips with the fact that I need a house for my boy and, and my wife to live in um, and the fact that I don't believe that anyone owns land. <laughs> well, the biggest thing you could do, I mean, I'm also reminded of a great uh, monkish philosopher who said, we all have to live with our contradictions. Sure. So yes, you bought the land. But one thing you could do is put, you know, as the community land trust movement moves along, you put the land in a community trust and then whatever, it's still going to have value, just not mm-hmm. as much. Mm-hmm. And your kids might get mad at you, but you'll tell them they why. Don't get the house. But then it comes down to if it went even further and we did have a giving back of land that was stolen, you obviously had nothing to do with it. Your people were run out of Eastern Europe as were mine. But would you then go this step further and say, you know what, I'm going to leave and might be a little rough for a little while, but I'll make do. If we ever yeah. got there, that's the real thing where right now it's true, yeah. but it's about not getting set in those new ways. Just because you mm-hmm. own the house doesn't mean you need to continue on and just yeah, you know, try to be a capitalist and just take a percent of everything, even on stuff you've never yeah. done before, worked on. So, you know, it's like, I think you're going to do it all. Lee. I mean, you're going to, you're going to do it. I see how easily people become dicks, you know, because like over the past few days, I've had so many, you know, I've had so many guys, you know, I got the Lowe's guys bringing over the appliance. I got the mover guys moving around. I got the handyman coming over and fixing, you know, gas valves and stuff. I feel like I got, I got so many guys, you know what I mean? And like, as I'm standing on my porch with my arms crossed and my aviator sunglasses, like supervising work, 
I can see how easily people just become dicks and start yelling at people and feel entitled. Yeah. And I don't Especially they're supervising work they don't know how to do themselves. Yeah, ex- exactly. And like <laughs> and they're dude... self-appointed. Yeah, it's like you just have the like you said, you have a, a you know, you made a pledged up all this house. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, are you sh- why did this take you so long?" It's like, "You don't even know how to do it." So how long do you think? <laughs> yeah. When they But put, hey, when I'll they... do so. I'll do work for you then we'll see each other more. Yes, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll talk about the monastic life in a, in, a, in a bit and how that relates to your commitments in life. But yeah, like when the guy, the handyman guy quoted me for what it would cost to fix the gas valve, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm not going to haggle with you. That seems fair. Seems whatever. Yeah. Some of uh, your utility work, ask me before you do it because some of it I know I yeah. do other stuff. I'll be like, no, you got to. Yeah, too I gotta risk. redo. I gotta redo the electrical around here, but we don't need to get too bogged down in that. But you know, for instance, yeah, so I'll, I'll do it. One of the Lowe's guys, like as they were moving in the thing, like he accidentally broke something, and I was like, he was like, "Oh, sorry, it wasn't my fault." I was like, "Dude, as far as I'm concerned, it didn't happen." <laughs> you know what I mean? What <laughs> do I do? Get you in trouble? Why not yell at you? You know, like come on. He didn't. Be, did he break one of the hanging pot plants? No, no. I good. And by pot plants, we don't grow marijuana here, but I do have sorry the potted plants. The I think the pots my wife's going to use, but I do have all of the I've I've saved and set aside in my in my garage all of the um, macrame. So you'll be able to you'll have to go out and get some more pots, I think. Uh, but you can use that macrame to hang them if you want. Oh, that would be cool. Whenever you're ready to have visitors, you let me know. I'm going to be very. Uh, I'm going to be out there next week. Okay, all next great. week I'm going to be in. Uh, high country, sleeping at ten thousand feet. Beautiful. High country. Where? Uh, so you're going to go camping? Wow, you really want to know all the details, don't you? I don't need to know exactly. I don't need I'm someone kidding. to track you down. I'll be, I'll be staying either off of Merton Creek or at Pear Lake up in the Sequoia ah, National Forest. Sequoia National Forest. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the monastic life because. Um, mm. Now that I'm in a sim, you know similar mode to you, sort of uh, uh, moving from apartment life to a little more solid life, I'm sort of seeing things from from your perspective, from my dad's perspective, from my grandfather's perspective. And yes, I put you in the category of all of those old mustachioed Jewish men in my life. Oh God, my <laughs> wife calls me a fucking it's man. Me I'll too. Never break free. I mean, we're just old Jews with facial hair now. It's great. We just put mm-hmm. around our yard and you know and go like what the fuck and water things and build things. But anyway, so there's this concept of the monastic life. And I picked up on this. There's this podcast. There's a podcast that is a show that reviews podcasts. And mm. the, the host of that podcast was on, I think, take two on our local NPR affiliate. Uh, and he was talking about an interview that he had with the podcaster. So, uh, and I want to talk about this interview about an interview. And he was the guy being interviewed about the interview was saying that he uh, interviewed <laughs> a podcast host who had a small podcast, not unlike ours. And um, he was talking, and I don't remember what it is, the show, and I might be totally misquoting this, but um, he sort of viewed his work on the podcast less as a business or um, even like entertainment or anything like that he viewed it as a sort of monastic experience that Mm. the work in itself that the work itself was 
the value, not some sort of product, that the experience of doing was, in fact, the important part, not the product. And more than that, the sort of maintenance, the work around (laughs) the work also had its own meaning. And I think about the life of a monk, right? You're in a monastery and, you know, part of your work, part of your existence in that monastery is doing whatever the studying or prayer or meditation, whatever kind of spiritual work that you're doing. And then the rest of it is just like chores, sweeping, Mm -hmm. making wine, cooking, uh, jerking each other off, uh, <laughs> you know, not, fixing not the good. roof, doing laundry, you know, washing all those robes, just all of those, those things. And those themselves are important. Now, occasionally somebody pops up to the monastery and they say, I, I'm here. I, I'm either here on accident or I actually sought you out. And in either case, the monk says, all right, well, come on in drink some of our wine, eat some of our bread that we made, uh, you know, come to our sanctuary, try to reach enlightenment, ask questions, pray, whatever it is you need to do. So, um, but the monk is not trying to bring these people in here. He's not selling the wine or the bread that they make. And he's, he's certainly not jerking not, people around. He's not, he's not jerking people around. And he's certainly not monetizing like the use of the sanctuary or use of the sacred scrolls or whatever the spiritual, uh, uh, aspect of that particular location is right as opposed to a business where you're trying to get people in to buy the wine and the in the bread or even a church or a temple or a mosque or you know any kind of uh any kind of religious place where the point is to bring in as many people in the flock as possible right get people in and you know they pay their donations and you know they do the potluck and the uh the bake sale and all those things like a monastery is not necessarily about bringing in the most people. It's about the actual act of spirituality and the sort of maintenance of the grounds. Mm-hmm. And where, and I think the other distinction you're getting at is the, the inner, the interaction with the currency or the money is quite different. It's a, yes. you ask people, you know, whether you call it a tithe or whatever you ask people to make, a contribution to it. And it's some portion of what you have today. Mm-hmm. Whereas our debt based mo- like the idea of like a student, student debt is a big in the topic because yeah. you know, you're saying, you know, everyone's telling you in society, go to school, go to school, get more education. Yeah. But then you're not really told, well, if you do it through student loans, it's actually going to cost twice as much because of interest. And you're going to be paying this off for 20 years. Yes. It doesn't always add up and there's, you know, it's just, no. it's just quite, and, but that's never, that doesn't really happen in religion. There's been obviously some bastardizations of it. And we know things like indentured servitudes, other things like that, but those are derivations from the spiritual yeah. and the monastic the life we're talking about. It's always give us a small portion of what you have. If you think what we're doing has value for the, either you or someone else, or just knowing that this is a touch point that society has, you see that we live relatively or quite modestly. So it's not like we're, you know, taking over Mm -hmm. and it's quite, I mean, that's why I've been, I really, I think it's, I mean, I think at times it's, it's finding 
I think our understanding of also what we call religion has gotten very uh, yes. completely taken out of proportion. It's it's look it's looking at different aspects, and a lot of it just to justify the wholesale control of what we generally call capitalism, um, mm-hmm. which itself is a form of a religion. We just don't talk about it like that because you don't go and pray at an altar. Yeah, but it's conspiracy like, theorism that is also yeah. another religion. So um, I've been going, I mean, I've been thinking like, you know, a couple weeks ago, I actually started going to services. It was online, but they're going nice. to do an outdoor walk for the high holidays. A hike oh, I love that. What's the, what's the shul? Maybe it's my sister's. Nefesh. Nefesh. Okay. What are they? Con- Silver Lake. They conservative? No, they're they very progressive. They, they even reform? broke off from, I think, the Federation or something. I don't know. So they're, but they're more reform than even reform. Yes, but they're very much about. They are. <laughs> okay, I always thought it was funny how, pr- how proud my family was that we were reformed Jews. We're like, oh, we're Jews that like you know we but but we we're not too Jewish. <laughs> but but like- the problem is the reason I hesitated is a lot of the reformed Jews have just become greedy capitalists. Yes, and, and it's it become cover. this. It's become what conservative Judaism used to be, and then conservative Judaism has now become like its own form of orthodoxy. Yeah, and I think you know, I think we could use a little bit more of it, but I don't like the when people some of that old time religion. religion. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's wonderful. And and do you feel like you're because I you know we're starting to do and my wife who you know she's was not raised Jewish but she's been encouraging us to do Shabbat the Sabbath. So we've been doing that. And we light the candles. We say a prayer. But like Sabbath, you're supposed to go to services and there's all of these prayers. That you're supposed to do, and you're supposed to read the Torah portion. I just read the one prayer, the Baruch Atah and I Shel Shabbat prayer, and we light the candles, eat a piece, whatever the bread is, like whatever our closest carb is. We use is the challah. So, like last week, we used an ice cream sandwich as our challah, <laughs> and uh, um, you know whatever you know. If we have some like juice, we'll use the juice as the wine because it's all s- symbolic anyway. So exactly. You can- Whatever, and it's it's way better to use something that you already have. Like if you already have a piece of bread, even if it's not the official Jewish <laughs> challah bread, use that yeah. bread rather than buying a whole other loaf of bread that you're going to waste. And I want to get some exactly. more into that whole idea of waste and, and saving and how that applies to the monastic life. But yeah, to the point that when my son actually goes to a real service, since he'll be used to these 30-second Sabbath is a 30 second Shabbat. Then he actually goes to his auntie and uncle's uh, synagogue and has to sit around for like an hour, or an hour and a half. He'll be like, what the fuck is this? I thought Shabbat was like 30 seconds. Um, but no, that's man, great. It goes on just like the Dovin. Yeah. It's like, da, da, da. it's great. It's at the, it's the, and what's really nice is like, we forget sometimes the ceremonies that happen in a workplace yeah. under the realm of capitalism, the things we mm-hmm. update on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Yeah. And there are a lot of them are very there's no art to it. It's it's very a lot of times it's one sided. You request something from someone, they send it to you, then you tell right. them when it's okay. Whereas right. a lot of the religious stuff that we repeat, it's done with one voice and harmony. Everyone joins in, does the same thing. And I find yeah. that like it always brings tears to my eyes. It's just so like mm. joyful. And I used to be bored when I was a kid. Yeah, because I was like, "Oh my God, we're doing this again!" But then you start realizing that a lot of the re- repetition that happens through more ancient or traditional religions is har- it's harmony. It's co- it's mm. done as a collective. It's everyone can do it in the, the same. There's no othering. 
everyone yeah. can participate because it's simple and it's the same thing. It's uh, not one side versus the other. There's no gain or it's very, it's just mm -hmm. quite, I love it. It's the greatest. Yeah. When the, when you, when you do the sort of like either the call and response or the group readings, there's an interesting, and I like to think of everything from an auditory perspective, just like as a sound engineer, you know, a vocal person, the sound of a whole congregation reading a passage together. There's a very distinct sound to that. That's different than a chorus singing mm -hmm. together. And it's different than a person giving a speech because it's all a little bit off. Yes. Like some people yeah. are starting, at, you know, some people are starting a little early. Some people are, are starting a little late. And so there's this kind of like, I can't do it, but it's like this, it's ghostly. It's a little, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it's like we make these, some of these movies that are made, TV shows are so polished, but it's like, imagine mm -hmm. a world like in Cuba, France, where artists can be paid to do their work. There's a hundred times more what we call independent things. Yeah. A lot of it's kind of rough, but it has that same texture and feel yes. and contours. And it's just so much more art out there. And it's beautiful. And it's, it would reach more people in more real ways because yes. you'd tell so many more stories from different perspectives of different people. Mm-hmm. And it can almost feel like more personal when it's not so polished yes. and more accessible. I'd love, yes. yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And I, I loved, it was either my grandpa or my dad. I think my dad making fun of my grandpa because he loved making sure his voice was heard. Oh God. And he always wanted to be a cantor, but he wasn't quite there. <laughs> and so he did the like, whoa, uh, yeah. he would be, you know. And my dad just thought it was the funniest thing because he'd always try to just be slightly louder than the, the second loudest yes. person, but never too, too loud. But he was always quite <laughs> a little bit off. <laughs> There's something about the traditional cantor voice because my sister, she's a, a beautiful singer. And, you know, she she grew up doing like musicals and then also just like, you know, singing along to pop songs and stuff. So she has a very modern voice. But the traditional, especially male cantors have that like, and whenever uh, and they can trell. Yes. And it's so, it's so Jewy and so stereotypically what you would close your eyes and think of a Jew that if that it's so hard for me not to laugh, even though it's my, oh my people, God. the same, I get this sitting, you should have heard my grandpa. He had it I, down. He just, I would have busted out laughing because because his, his, like his key or pitch or whatever was like slightly off, but he could do the intonation and he mm -hmm. had the like all that stuff. Perfect. The feeling I get while I'm like trying to control my lap, if I'm in like towards the front row, because when I go to temple, I'm always like sitting in the back, you know what I mean? Trying to get come in late, sit in the back. But my parents yes. are always like, let's sit up front and then I'll come in. They're like, Lee, come down here. Cause then, and then I have to talk to and be introduced to every single person in the congregation. Cause since I don't go that often, it's always like, let me introduce you to my son. And I don't know, I can't remember who I've met and who I haven't. Oh, yeah. Should I say good to see you or nice to meet you? Cause sometimes you'll say good to see you. And they're like, I've never fucking say met you. And sometimes shalom. you'll say, exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> but the feeling I get staring down the guy is the same feeling that I get when I'm like trying to talk to someone <laughs> and I'm really high. You know what I mean? Like, or I'm just like yeah. trying so hard not to laugh. But <laughs> oh my God. It reminds me of my friend, Adam gross. He got in trouble a lot, but we would always stand next to each other and just try to keep each other from laughing. But like, what was the part? He, the beam bomb was always 
that got him. Like he couldn't hold bim, back. When we were, bom, bim, 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 and then there was a, bim, 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 da, da, was one part of the uh, another Our prayer songs, where Jew songs slap, dude. Dude, they're amazing. Yeah, I always make fun of you know. I always make fun of my own religion, but like I'm proud of my sister that she's like re- that she represents that. For so we got to give a major shout out to Debbie Freeman because a lot of these. Oh, uh, God bless. Yeah, right. Because a lot of these. The melodies are hers. Yes, Debbie city. Friedman is like she is the Joan Baez, Bob Dylan. It's amazing. 20th century American song. I remember sorry, the first 20th time century I went, American Jewish song. So the first time I went to another temple, yeah, and they didn't do that because I had no idea. I went to it's the same disconcerting, temple all the time. right? I was like, what traditional... were these? Yeah, I was like, what? What the heck? I thought, why are they doing a different thing? And then my parents are like, those are all Debbie Friedman, some American from the sixties. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, messed Deb- up. So I'm like, I want Debbie Friedman Judaism from now on. They had a gift shop at my temple, and my dad and none of us in our family wanted anything from the gift shop. But my dad would always get talked into buying shit from the gift shop just because he's nice, and the ladies he like, you know, they were just nice ladies that were working there. And he bought my mom like a two disc CD box set of Debbie Friedman songs. My mom converted Judaism. She loves Judaism. She's very spiritual. She's totally in touch with all of it. Um, But when she opened that Hanukkah present, and I don't know what my mom wanted for Hanukkah, but it was not a Debbie Friedman box set. (laughs) I will never forget the, the look of just like pissed off bitchiness on my mom's face as she looked at my dad like, this is, it was almost like a, a, a bowling ball that said Homer on it. I mean, oh, yeah. That level of fuck you. Why did you buy this for me? But I now think I, I wish. I opened your gift. <laughs> exactly. Now I wish we had that. But yeah. So how do we be? So the monastic. The monastic life. life. So let's think about, let's think about it just in terms of this, this podcast, going back to how we started. So mm. um, look, we have people to listen to this show across the world it's not a lot of people but people do listen so we're not a mega church but we're more of miss money penny penny come here she's my my biological security system security get in here security i just started i've started calling my dog security (laughs) (laughs) security can you can you lock down the because like when she starts barking i'll let her out and be like okay go check it out and then she'll stand by the fence and be like Oh yeah, there's nothing here. And I'm like, all right, now yeah, go in back inside. She's a new inside. place, new smells, new every yeah. sounds. She it was a little stressful for her at first. I think she thought that this was the realtor's house before mm-hmm. we moved in because it's like every time we showed up, Maria was here. And so uh, she oh, and then yeah. so she's like, oh, now it's my house. She's trying to figure that out. But anyway, so yeah, we have a we have a, a small but dedicated listenership, right? And mm-hmm. so we're not a mega church. We're more of a monastery. So in that case. For me, the what I get out of this program is not like money or fame, although I guess that would be nice. For me, it's the act itself that brings me joy. The act of talking into a microphone, the act of 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 pulling in uh, people like you and having these conversations. That's sort of like it's part debate, part therapy. Um, and um, that experience itself, the fun of like, you know, editing and putting the tag on the beginning and the end, the fun of every time I add a new episode, I refresh the iTunes feed and I just look at it and, I, and I'm proud of all of the, the, 
the episodes that we've we've posted. That feeling feels good. And and so that is sort of like us talking about these things. That is sort of the prayer, right? And we're sort of the monks. And just the fun of like, you know, updating the website and like publishing a new episode and, you know, checking the feed to make sure everything's in order and stuff. That's sort of the like, you know, uh, making the wine and, you know, taking care of the grounds of the monastery. And so, like I said, we're the monks and we're doing our prayer. We're trying to reach whatever intellectual enlightenment it is that we're trying to reach. And then, um, but occasionally, can you hear me or are you frozen? No, I'm still here. Just the video is probably frozen. Oh, okay. Yeah, the video is frozen. So just like a monastery at the top of a hill, sometimes a wayward traveler comes in and the monks welcome them and they say, please join us in our prayer or have some bread, have some wine. So similarly, when we get our friend from Finland and they listen to the program, I'd like to consider her or him to be uh, someone who's come to our monastery that's here to, to reach enlightenment with us for a moment. And we don't ask for any money and uh, we don't ask for them to kiss our butts because we're already here. So if you want to join us, God bless. And uh, if you don't, unsubscribe. God bless. Um, And that is sort of the way I'm starting to look at this, that I'm not running a megachurch. I'm not running a business. This is my political, intellectual, spiritual monastery. And um, now that I have a property that I'm in charge of, I'm starting to see just the, the pure value of the work of upkeep. I mean, and this is a tiny little, little house, but there's still so much work. And I'm like, oh, I need this tool and that tool. I got to clean this. I got to feed that. I got to clip that, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's tough, but, uh, and it's always like, I wake up every, I fall asleep every night and wake and go, God, there's so much stuff to do tomorrow, but I'm excited about it. And I wake up and go, mm-hmm. oh, there's so much to do, but I'm excited about it. And I realized I have not played like any video games since I got this this house. And I realized all of the games that I used to play were like SimCity or Disney Infinity, or I would build my own games in Unity. And it was like designing my own spot and picking out where things go and building my own things. And I remember when I was making my game, Escape the Park, available on itch.io, um, suggested donation $10. Uh, I always always have this feeling where I'd be working on the game and I'd be wandering around the 3D world and I would think, oh, there's so much to do. And then, but I'm excited. So I would go around in one level of the land and I'd putter around and I'd forget the whole reason I'd booted up Unity was to fix something else. And then I putter around over there. And I realized that I'm getting that same feeling, <laughs> but just walking around my, my house. And um, yeah. And like all puttering I want, around. Puttering, puttering around. around. I love puttering. It's my favorite thing. Like the other night, um, I just like puttered around in my garage and it was it was great. Before I had my first meeting this morning, I like swept up outside. It was great. These simple, stupid chores are just so fulfilling um, themselves. And all I want out of life is for everybody to just have their and then this is totally possible. It is totally possible for everyone to have a little square lot on this planet 
and a little bit of power and a little bit of food and a responsibility to take care of it. It's totally possible. It's totally possible for everyone to have this privilege that I have that I think should be a right. It's not much, just a little square to take care of. Everyone fucking deserves this. And I'm trying to think of the things that, well, look at you. You got shit all over your yard. It's beautiful. I love your yard. Um, Those are, yeah, little moringas trees. Yeah. I'll bring one over to you. The, the only thing that is frustrating about this, and it has led me down a path, is that in, in smaller neighborhoods like this, uh, most of the residences don't have uh, driveways up front. So we don't have a driveway up front. We have a little detached garage and an alleyway on the side, which at first I kind of hated, but now it's cool. It's like my little bat, bat cave that I go around the side of the house and I pull in. And I'm going to actually get a smaller car. Like I have a Jetta now, which is, you know, it was kind of like whatever, the cheapest regular car I could find. Um, but now I'm going to get like a used mini convertible, <laughs> which I always make fun of minis because they're the lamest little cars. But I'm like, this is, this suits my life. I always thought, oh, I'm going to upgrade a car. I'm going to get a newer car, a nicer car. No, no, no. Get the car that fits. Mm. Mini fits my life. Um, but the only thing I don't like about this neighborhood is I don't have a driveway. So I don't have control over the actual curb in front of my home. Now, if you live in a sort of spread out suburban neighborhood, that doesn't really matter because there's not a lot of street parking because other people have garages and such. Um, and while most of the, the residences here seem to be single family dwellings, uh, there are a few apartments. And also people have so many cars, which part of me is just pissed off about that because we don't need this many cars. But most of me is pissed off about our uh, economy and how that forces people to have multiple vehicles when most people don't shouldn't even have to have one. So I'm looking out right now and there's a car parked out front and uh, it has an Uber tag, right? So that car, that, that person is using that as a business car. And um, there's another truck that I see um, that I think is for like landscaping or some other type of, of, of business. And do I like looking out my window and seeing an Uber in a truck? No. And like when I was first thinking about this, it really annoyed me to like finally have property, but, but not be able to control what's right out in front. So I was like, I was jokingly saying, I'm just going to get a Ford Ranchero and just park it out front. Just, just so like, that's my way of like claiming this spot as my own. But, the, and, but then I had this realization that instead of like trying to find some stupid scheme to, to always have the parking spot in front of your house. Why don't you think about what the real problem is? And the real problem is the fact that um, there is a issue with vehicle storage equity in our state, in Southern California specific, uh, 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 particularly. Like how many times do you drive through a neighborhood like mine or my previous one later at night and there's no parking. You'll see someone double parked in the middle of the street with their hazards on. You'll see some beleaguered person driving around in circles trying to, to find a spot. You'll see, uh, you know, my aunt, my aunt has to do this all the time. She's like, her area is so crowded and she's a woman living on her own that she sometimes has to park like miles away from her residence. And there's been times where she's taken a cab from where she's parked to her home because she wa doesn't want to get assaulted. How many times do you see this kind of situation of just people just crammed into this? 
these kind of neighborhoods with all of their vehicles. Conversely, how many times at that same time do you drive by a Vons and the parking lot is completely empty? Well, it seems like there's a pretty simple solution because now if we went and parked all of our cars and trucks over there, well, of course, we get tickets and fines. So I think it's the responsibility of this city because it's for, because of the economic inequality, people have to like own their own vehicles to function. They have to own their own vehicles to send their kids to school. So people will have like a car for their kids and then they'll also have a truck. And then like, and the idea, it, I mean, it does kind of go back to like the workers having ownership of the means of production. So I do like that aspect of it, but it's a pain in the ass for people to have to like manage a business vehicle in a residence that doesn't even have a spot for a car, like a normal car. I don't think that that's fair, especially when down the street, there's a bunch of parking. So why doesn't the city say, hey, Vons, we're going to pay you X amount, a nominal fee, so that folks can park their trucks here, and then we'll have a little shuttle that will go around the neighborhood and drop people off, and they don't have to worry about it. We could even have charging stations there. Um, you know, there's a lot of times I'll see guys under their vans, like working with a flashlight in their mouth, in their mouth, like working on their cars in the middle of the night. Wouldn't it be nice to have a nice well-lit area for folks to park and then, you know, they can work on their cars and all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, you know, the, the, the like gentrifying asshole side of me is like, we should start a, 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 um, initiative to make this permitted parking only. So that you have to have a permit, but I'm like, okay, well, if you only get one or two permits, then what happens with the guy who has his wife has to have a car, his daughter has to have a car, and then he also has to have a truck. Okay, well, then he's just going to be driving his truck around circles every night, or his daughter's going to be having to walk back to the house late at night because she can't find a spot. So why don't, instead of thinking the solution that's best for you, Lee, think of the solution that's best for the whole street. So this is going to be my new fucking thing. Like, I'm not going to solve racial inequality in this country. And we've been so fired up about Black Lives Matter. And of course, I am still 100% in support of, of that movement. But I need to scale down my grandiosity and not think that I'm just going to like charge into Washington and like free the world for everybody and start to think about what can I do on my block in, the, in front of my house so that the, the guy who drives an Uber doesn't have to circle around all night uh, trying to find a spot. So what are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to put up flyers and I'm going to have a one, I'm going to have a community meeting, social distance community meeting in my yard. And I'm going to have, I'm going to bring out my PA system, which I have, and I'm going to get people go fucking, to your neighborhood council meeting. I'm going to get yeah, fired up there. and I'm going to get a petition and we're going to go from there. I gotta, I gotta get better at speaking Spanish, <laughs> uh, for, but, uh, but hopefully I'll find some partners in this. Initiative. What about for the people that can't afford cars that live around? Mm -hmm. Well, um, that is true. And public transportation has improved a lot in our community, but there's a lot of folks who it's hard for them to even get to a bus stop. Right. Um, well, improve from a depth well below zero. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, remember um, there was a tram 110 years ago that went up the side of the mountain behind here. You can go up to the woods. Yeah. that That's long gone. So a fern, a Fernicular. Well, here, fernicular. Here's, the, here's the thing, Jen. Uh, Jen. Here's the thing, Ben. It, the, actually, the problem is it, it's actually too easy 
to get a, a car. And I don't mean oh, like, yeah. oh, only like, rich people dude, should be. In order no, to get rid of the car culture, there has to be a transition and most people just don't want to give up their cars. So our, our baseline is that we need cars, which means 15% of our city is roads and parking lots, Yeah, which means things are spread out, which means you need to leave it places. Yeah. Everything is hotter because mm-hmm. it's hard to have tree canopies when the road is 50 feet wide everywhere. Yes. There's all sorts of stuff, but the baseline is like, I'm not getting, it's like guns. It's like, I'm not getting rid of my gun. I'm not getting rid of my car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So well, yeah, so there's quite difficult. So I'd say, you know, just fuck it. Just let it happen. See what happens. Yeah. There's so much. Well, I mean, here's the thing. And I don't mean like it's too easy to get a car in that like only rich people should have cars. I mean that it's too easy for credit companies to oh, yeah. go after people and get them in these like horrible high interest loans to get these cars that they don't. And, you know, there's a lot of people who work hard and they buy nice cars and whatever. Um, But, you know, like the guy who, when I got in that horrible car accident, the guy who hit me in the, uh, this, you know, these shitty little Mazda, these crappy little fucking, you know, like Mazda has one and like, uh, like the, you know, there's the Toyota Supra. It's all of these sort of like mid to low level sort of, uh, you know, uh, Japanese, um, I guess, pony cars, these like shitty little like race cars. And, you know, they just go after young men to try to get them in these cars because it's like, well, if you get one of these cars, then you'll be like in Fast and the Furious. And if you're in Fast and the Furious, you'll get pussy. So there's that whole car culture. And I saw a bunch of kids parked in front of islands the other day, like showing off their, uh, you know, their, their, their shitty little cars with their spoilers on the back. I mean, they're so ugly and so stupid. And then you got the muscle car guys and you got the Dodge Challengers and you got the Camaros and you got the, the Mustangs. And I, and, I, and I see why that's so important. Like there's a dude in my old neighborhood who he had this Camaro and that Camaro was his life because he was like living in an apartment with a bunch of people and the Camaro was his space. And that's such a part of LA is people live in these yeah. little places. And it, but he would go sit out in his Camaro and he'd make phone calls. He'd drive around, listen to music, go pick up girls. And he loved his little Camaro. So I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that guy should have to give that up. That's like a fun part of his existence in his life. But I also don't think that credit companies should go after young men and get them into these cars that, that yeah, they don't need and can't afford. And think those men a hundred years ago and a hundred years from now, humans are adaptable. They'll find something else to be <laughs> yeah. obsessed with. So right. what would a monk do about it though, in your neighborhood? Your next monk? neighbor monk. Uh, your monastic. Monk? Your monastic I, monk. I mean – yeah, I mean, my prism on cars has changed a little bit because I got a, a, a child coming. Where like, whereas I just kind of want to get a Ford Ranchero and <laughs> like, and have like a shitty car that's like, hey, do you want half a Mustang and half a truck? <laughs> get this. Um, but I think the monk, uh, you know, would have uh, find a car um, that um, needs a little bit of work, um, but fixes it up. And then shares the vehicle with others, whether that means giving folks a ride or it means like, oh, hey, you, you know, you found a pool table on Craigslist that you need. Hey, borrow my, borrow my truck and oh, so go you don't think the, the monk is not taking the bus? Um, Do you think the monk's getting a car and trying to share it? Well, I mean, it depends. So if the monk, if, you're, if your monastery is like an actual monastery, then yeah, you're going to want to find a beater truck and, and, and fix her up. Um, but yeah, if your monk is in the middle of, 
of downtown, yeah, then then he probably he or she probably doesn't need a a, a car at all. But I like I said, for the monastic life is about the work itself being of value, and I think that fixing older things that are still useful um, is um, is something that's really great for folks um like i think of <laughs> i was listening to the dana gould hour and he was talking about the the uh what's his name something winch something winchell and he was the guy who did the voice of tigger on the disney cartoons of winnie the pooh that doesn't sound like tigger but you know what i mean and no. this dude in the fucking like 30s invented the idea of um disposable razors um and actually it might have been i think it was later it's actually the 50s and he invented the idea of disposable razors but no one liked the idea because they were still locked into the great depression mindset of if something works even if it doesn't work that well why would you ever throw it away so people were like well you know i already have my old razor that i've had for like <laughs> you know since the great depression it's lasted me that long why should i get rid of it even though it like cuts me up and i get you know razor burn or whatever so it was only until the until the 70s when we started to get into this disposable fondue culture where everything was like fucking plastic and shitty uh that Gillette hopped in and uh made it happen so I don't use straight razors. I do use like Gillette, but um, but I like the I like that attitude. That sort of how do we find the balance between the Great Depression attitude, which was just so austere that it was insane, um, you know, and the and and the disposable economy of today, where it's just like throwing away phones after mm -hmm. after a year. So like it's like the materialist versus the consumerist. The materialist yes. says, "I want a few comfortable things." But something that can last, like metal can last a lifetime. Why am I throwing it away every week? So the, exactly. the, the consumerist throws it away because of the negligible ease of, of it, which, yeah. you know, maybe it is for a while, then you forget about it. The materialist is like, I'm not going to not have a razor, but if I'm going to have a razor, I'm going to make it last. Yeah. And you're exactly. also talking about more of like an urban monk. Uh, yes, a, a forest exactly. monk would say we don't want we don't cars because cars are destroying the planet. And but the urban monk would say if we have the car, let's keep it going as long as possible. Yes. And let me sacrifice either my quote unquote free time mm -hmm. or other comforts so that this thing that someone else might have said is broken right. or beyond repair is now like i have this amazing fan right here mm -hmm. i'll show it to you i that's found why it i want a 72 street. ranchero right you find stuff that in all actuality probably could outlast a human yeah. whereas now we're led to believe because of a mass consumerist mentality that electronics should last for two or three years a car yes. is five to seven and it's like mm -hmm. huh we I've recycled phones that are around from when phones were invented. Yes, I'm using my old. I'm using my old. I actually have a, a original phone right here that still works. This uh, listen to this. Oh, sound. those are the best. I'm gonna Rotary. get a home line. Yeah. Yeah, we have a home line. I still need to work. So the problem is that the the um, the new line um, that Spectrum gave me 
it goes through the modem and it requires the phone itself to be powered. So while my phone, my phone actually, this, this like almost a hundred year old phone still works and um, it would work except for the stupid modern modem that spectrum makes you plug it in to get a landline that doesn't work for you can it. still there are still phone lines yes i looked up you can still have a phone and it's insane like one of the cases against apple and other companies too is that they were intentionally making their computer obsolescence exactly but to the point of just gross capitalism which should have been called a crime against humanity Instead, they're still lauded as the most innovative tech companies yeah. and everybody wants to be them. It's like using these are slave gross. labor to make this shit that just is disposable. Well, even if, yeah, I mean, that that's another thing. But I'm saying the fact that they're also making it so that the things don't last mm-hmm. is, but instead we still call them innovative companies. <laughs> Fuck them. It's, it's Apple absolutely steals all their ideas insane. anyway. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. They're, they're a bunch of greedy, you know, greed-filled yeah. businessmen. So I use instead my instead of wearing suits, they wear jeans. But it's like they don't want to innovate. They they mm-hmm. steal other stuff. They buy it when they have to because they have access to as much money as they want. Yes. So they're not actually doing work. And then you trade them phone. in to get your new phone, right? Oh, that's and, insane. And, and they trade, give you it's yeah. a fucking ripoff. So what I've I've never done the done the trade in. I used to when I would get a new iPhone, I'd use the old iPhone as a remote to control. Like I would set up this little remote so I could control my computer remotely and have that plugged into the TV. Now that I have a home, I'm not, I don't really like the security system thing, but I do have a, a simply safe security system. Um, but instead of buying a bunch of their cameras, like I have the cameras that come with it, but I've also, I'm using my old iPhone as a security camera. I don't like that whole security thing, but I had to leave the house yesterday and I felt it was like the first time I left the dog alone. So I set up a little security camera and it was by the door and I got to watch the door and the dog and I could check in whenever. So instead of trading it in to get a few dollars on a new phone, like no motherfucker, I'm going to use it. Someone like some enslaved person had to make this phone and I'm a piece of shit for buying it. I might as well fucking keep using it, not just give it back to Apple in exchange for a couple bucks off my new phone. Insane. But anyway, I just watched Wally again last night. Great picture. Yeah, it was funny watching Wally. Trash. It was funny watching Wally in theaters because in in front of me, during Wally, were just two morbidly obese human beings just shoveling popcorn in their face and slurping a giant soda pop. It's it was so weird. It was like it was like watching Godzilla next to. Godzilla, <laughs> you know, but it actually oh, gave me empathy for those people because usually I'm like, oh, these fucking fat ass, greedy pieces of shit sitting in front of me, and because like leaning back yeah. and hitting my knees. But I'm like, oh, you people know, are people. They're yeah, I mean, they're people. People who were like, you know, consuming too much food. They're in some ways like the they're ruling class of this wants society. you to focus on them. Yes. It takes attention away from their McDonald's. And it's not, loves, people can be and our you know and our conception of weight changes with every yeah oh yeah wrinkle in time. So McDonald's it's good, wants it's us bad, but it, it makes no difference in the grand scheme of things. Of course not. McDonald's so, wants us to hate those people for being the victims of their drug food, rather than us being mad at McDonald's who are the peddlers of their their drug food. Yeah. Like when we were moving, right. we didn't have a functioning kitchen at either the previous or the new place. So 
I was eating a lot of like takeout and fast food and that kind of stuff that I don't normally eat. So I don't, I, I, you know, I'll have fast food every once in a while, you know, traveling or, you know, high or something, you know, but it's not a regular thing, but I had a, a Whopper sandwich and then I had a, uh, a Taco Bell burrito. So I had like fast food for lunch and dinner, which I have, I don't even think I've ever done that in my life let alone recently having two fast food meals in one day. And the next day my body was like, let's go back. Yeah. It's great. I mean, the thing is, it's like my body wanted more because it's a drug. It's It's like we live in a world right now where food is delicious. It's readily accessible. It's cheap. Even if you're poor. And so, right. And so the thing is, it's like people can eat, drink and be merry. It's more about people who are eating when they don't want to because of stress or some other thing yes. and what is causing that stress. Those are the only eating. cases that really matter. If yes, someone wants to eat a that. lot and they're happy and they're sitting it's like, who the fuck cares as long as people are happy? Well, uh, and healthy. It's, it's the, but the conception of health is also slightly very subjective. So what I'm saying is like, it only really matters when people are doing things that they can't yeah. stop themselves from doing but actively are trying. It's like, what are causing those stressors in life that lead to everything from, you know, also including suicide, like the rate that people are thinking about that is going up a lot. So it's like, those are the cases that matter. And that's where we need to look at the society we live in. But if people want to eat a bunch of McDonald's and they are relatively happy in life, then it's like, who the fuck cares? No one's happy at McDonald's. I actually, I found when I was going through uh, all of my old documents, first of all, I found every single. You're um, such a gentrifier. Nobody's happy at McDonald's. You know no, 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 no. Happy. I I'm loving it. <laughs> no, no. I, you I know was who's going- also loving it? The parent who didn't have to spend four hours cooking food for everyone and shopping. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not but gonna- the monk would say, "Where have we gone wrong? Where we no longer gather in the, the if not the harvest of food." The preparation of the yeah. food. We drive through. We Why drive. do we no longer? How can we refashion our mind to find joy and togetherness in that four-hour process rather than seeing it as a worthless chore that is someone is forced to do? Mm-hmm. That's the, the challenge. The sukkah. How do we do that? I do not know. I think it's just all going to fall apart. We'll live in a failed state. Corporations will try to make their own currencies and armies. and They already do. Blackwater. Cryptocurrency. No, they don't. Well, McDon- no, but they, I mean, uh, yeah, it's going to get worse. So like they're a just, real, yeah, it's going to get way worse because they're just setting up the schematic, the, setting up the scaffolding. Yeah, we've for, given up on municipal governments. We haven't. We've underfunded them and underpowered them for sixty years, and it's not changing. And we're about to live in a failed state if we don't already do. And it's we're going to have to have a lot more mutual aid, all sorts of new ways of organizing which I'm not saying is a good thing, but it's happening. We're falling off a cliff yeah. and gravity goes one way. It goes down. It's not going to, can't just go back up. You got to rebuild. I keep thinking how funny it is that we get to live to see this. It's insane. <laughs> like, I always I love, the- you know, some of the best writers I love reading are people that don't live in the U S or who have spent time here, mm-hmm. who have studied fascism and art thing or, um, and they authoritarianism. Get they get it. But then also they're like, it didn't start in 2016, first of all. They're like, no, of course stop not. saying what Trump did to this country. They're like, you fuckers 
And then also all, all the democratic establishment, stop making yourself out to be blameless and a fucking savior. Yes. Maybe in the short term pragmatic way, you have slightly better ideas to offer, but you've supported this wall street capitalistic yeah. driven thing. Maybe you said you want to do these social things, but they don't happen. And so the, you know, the, markets don't the do them. Yeah, exactly. So, the point so it's like at some point, butt. take on some blame, but then it's also saying like you people are headed off a fucking cliff. Yeah. And one of your established parties will not listen to any of their progressive organizers mm. saying like, if you don't start telling people that they need to start taking to the streets, you're not going to defeat this through the rule of law or through getting everyone to vote. It's like, we all need to vote, but authoritarians are going to have a breakthrough whether or not people vote. Yeah. So because it's got to be way more. And the authoritarians the only- have more guns. There's a secret yeah, Morgan, army seething under. And the modern world, the only thing that's kept back authoritarian breakthroughs, and it doesn't always work, is mass protest from the day of the election to yeah. the transfer of power, the interregnum. Right, but it we're seeing in work. Belarus like that that is not enough. Exactly. It's not enough partly because you've got external influence. Russia saying you do too much, we're going to come in there. So it's scaring yeah. the shit out of people. And it's going to be the same in the U.S., but what makes it very difficult is the people that want to change things are still being told to send to send postcards, which I'm not saying people should stop doing. Yeah. But we it's it's looking at stop looking at through the American exceptionalism realm. Because it's saying it, I, I yeah. need to do this, like get people to vote, but also the democratic establishment needs to start telling people like we, we you can't just stop this through the rule of law, because the whole point is that they don't listen. You have yeah. to do massive protests, and it's for all 78 days, unless by some miracle. Not protest, revolution. Yeah, but that means people are actively showing Back up. Out there, truth. yes. And what's hard is that people have to, we, you and me too, we'd be putting our life on the line, but before our life, just our comfort. We might potentially lose our jobs. You might get COVID. Get arrested and spend a month in jail and it's just like there's all sorts of comforts that we have to put yeah. out there and it's very difficult and so maybe you and me might go do it but for all those people torn it's like oh my god do i listen to all those like crazy radical socialists or do i listen to the democratic establishment that's telling me to keep donating money to the DCCC so that we can fight this in the courts it it's just like, it reminds me of the Wehrmacht republic and the political establishment of 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 Germany and they they thought that they had all the answers they thought they could control Hitler and we all know what happened and it's just yeah, funny like was- watching Anderson Cooper just like shake his head and like frown and like think that he gets what's going on and he's a smart fucking guy and he's yeah, still, everyone, it, you exactly still can't get it because he's in the middle of it he still exactly, thinks you that need a like, different talking head it's like you you get it in the way you get it but you don't get the whole thing and in the weimar republic it's like what it's that other party that defected over to the to the uh nazi party and in the u.s we don't have a parliamentary system the same way so it won't look the same Mm -hmm. so in my mind the corollary Mm -hmm. is not a defecting party but what we generally call the democratic establishment their message stays too much on point to let's do this through paperwork basically yeah well, let's since bring, let's bring our case to the courts, and it's like, all right, well, Trump flaunts the court ruling. And that's what I'm saying. There's never been a time in history when a 
and that someone who's trying to break through as an authoritarian has the support of a lot of branches of government, military, yep. tens of millions of people is like, oh, this is illegal. Oh, okay. Well, I guess if you told me it's illegal, I can't do it. It's like, that's the point. So taking it to court, I'm saying is completely worthless. It's right. not going to do anything. It's going to make people feel like they tried, but under a false notion that it ever could have worked where it's like the entire point is that you have somebody and a support structure of an immediate group of say like a hundred people, an outer core of 10,000 and then tens of millions of active supporters who their whole life have flaunted the rule of law. So why all of a sudden are they going to listen to this? Like what's the, exactly. Unless you have massive protests and then, or you do it the way that other countries have done it, where you bring in some branches of uh, force. You roll in with tanks to the white let's house. Get the, let's get the French and the Canadians to help us out. Let's get all these, these other countries. They're not going to come help us out. What in my mind, <laughs> it's know. like, we got what, like 20 branches of the military or 18. How many, including can we space get force. Right. So how many can we get on this side to try to take over this? And we got to get MS 13, the world's most dangerous gang. I mean, Oh, that's true. Like we got to get, get the gang. We got to get the get urban militias together. Um, so, so we definitely need the urban militias as many as possible, but then also we have so many branches of government, you know, the, our, our, the, the Trump apparatus we know has department of Homeland security and who knows what else mm-hmm. we have so many branches of, of military. Yes. So which one of those generals would say my oath is to the constitution, not to the president. And so breaks rank or uh, doesn't break rank just does. Uh, and I don't know, that's, these are all the, un- so we're living through history and that's what makes yeah. it just like. That's what makes crazy. people like not be able to get it. <laughs> that what's ha- that what's happening, but yeah, yeah it's you, only like going to make sense in 10 years. You're like, Oh my God. When I you're in a concentration camp, it's going to make sense. Exactly. Well, what you were saying about the um, parliamentary system and the fact that we don't have coalition governments is is exactly correct, which means that we have coalition governments within the political parties. So what you see is in 2016, when the Republicans swept and they held every single uh, they held uh, both houses of Congress and the White House, what you saw was because and because there was no parliamentary system. One party had control over the government, right? But since there are differences between inside that party, the coalitions in the party started to break out. So then you had your you had your your crazy just racist side of the of the aisle. You had your sort of like blue dog moderates, and then you had what are they called? The Tuesday group, which were the the like super hard line guys who just like didn't want to spend a penny on anything. And so, you know, get your Rand Paul's who God bless Rand Paul, because sometimes he would accidentally help the liberals because he was so, because he was so hard line. He was like Rorschach in the watchman. He would not compromise. And, but basically at the end of the day, all of those people did exactly Enough of those little mini coalitions inside the Republican Party did exactly what that other party did in uh, Germany and enabled Trump. And the and Chuck Schumer was just like and and Nance were just like completely powerless. It was oh yeah, it was. It was I was pathetic. listening to Tom Hartman this morning because I had to go take Zoe in to get her teeth cleaned, 
and he and I tuned in when he was just listing the crimes that Trump has actually committed in his life. And I was like, and he had like a good bullet point list. I was like, wow, this guy. Uh, and I was, it's like, yeah, I love Hartman, like but don't read his book can, on the Kennedy assassination. Do not oh, read his it book. No good? It's just, well, it's just not. I've just lonely list. I where I read is, uh, I've, I've realized that a lot of the articles I read, like the New York Review of Books, what you called, whatever. The, the Reader's Digest for, uh, for people smart people. think they know. Yeah. Think or, no, you said that people want to feel smart. Yeah. And then some other stuff, the, and The Nation, and all these ones, a lot of them were first posted on uh, Tom Hartman's site. I wish it was Phil Hartman. I know. He's that guy like, was great. He's From, like, uh, I'm just a lowly radio personality. I'm just a was, simple caveman. <laughs> He was the best, but he yeah, man, we're living through history and I'm, you know, we're doing what we can, but we're yeah. only one person. I know. Well, should we ask Trump what he thinks? Why don't you ask Trump a couple questions about it? Let's get him on the line. Oh, is, wait, has he been listening this whole time? Cause I'm afraid for my life now. Well, yes, I've been oh, listening, Ben, and you've been making a lot of points, a lot of good points yeah. and a lot of bad points. And you're right. We're living through history. There's a lot of history that I can tell you. There's a lot of history. But, so can I ask you, when you were in your, like I'm in my 30s, mid-30s, when you were around my age, did you have serious images of grandeur? Did you want to be here? Did you see yourself where you are today? Well, we were working on, we were working on Trump Tower and we had the big models, beautiful models. They had little people standing outside the models, like little micro machine people. And we were working on the models and, and I went on Barbara Walters and Barbara, she says, Trump, Donald. Donald, do you want to run for president? And I said, I don't want to. She had the to. same voice as you. She had the same voice as me. And I said, I don't want to, Barbara. I don't want to be president because I could do more here. But a lot of things changed. And America became crippled, that I can tell you. And Obama, Obama came in. And we all know what happened there. We had the Iran deal, one of the worst deals of all time. We had Obamacare, which is not nearly as good as the Affordable Care Act, which I love wonderful act and things really went to hell and i decided i had to step in ben i had to step in because no one else was going to do it so let me ask you did you decide you need to step in or was it like a manifest destiny that you were put on this planet to save us well steve bannon put his hand up my ass and worked me like a puppet and that's why oh, so I this did. is steve this was all steve steve so you're was just behind. a puppet you're a puppet Oh, no, I'm asking because you said Steve Bannon put his fist up your ass and treated Steve you like Bannon a puppet. Put, Steve Bannon put his fist up your ass, Ben. What up? You just said Steve Bannon put my his fist up my ass and treated me like a puppet. So I'm asking. Why would I say that? Clarify. Why would I say that? Do you want me to play it back for you? Here, listen in your headphones. I'm going to play it back for you. Ready? All right. Steve okay. Bannon is sticking his hand up my ass and working me like a puppet. So you heard that. You just said that. We have that recording. It's a deep fake. It's a deep you, fake, Ben. They faked it. It's deep. It's the deep state is deep faking. Oh, so the you never said that. fake state. The deep fake state. Do you, do you feel like it's like the exorcist where you're actually controlled by something else, an inner demon? Well. Like how could you be so monstrous? How could you possibly be doing what you're doing and not being controlled by a, uh, an inner hellish force? Well, look, I was having a dinner party. Okay, a lot of dinner. We were eating wonderful food, beautiful food, Trump steaks. 
beautiful steaks. But when you sit around and conspire on how to destroy the planet, you can call that a party? Right, it was a party. And Ivanka, she was very young, very young child, beautiful child, but she was very young, that I could tell you. And she came down and she peed on the floor. And I said, it's like the exorcist. The little girl, she's peeing on the floor. So yeah, I think it's just like the exorcist. And Can I ask you if you really have a breakthrough in January? Are you going to be like one of those tyrants that we have like a listenership of a couple hundred, but we're <laughs> kind of mocking you? Are you going to kill us? Well, we're going to well, we're going to kill your spirit, Ben. We're going to murder it. We're going to take your spirit and we're going to crush okay. it into a Go million pieces, and we're going to shove it. it up. We're going to shove it in your mouth. That I can tell you. Believe me. By physical force or just all intellectual? Well, we're gonna do both. We're gonna oh, we're gonna physically fuck you, and we're gonna emotionally fuck you. So fuck you. Jesus. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mr. President. You have a wonderful so, day. Maybe we shouldn't put that on air. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I, don't know. I mean, look at you know, look at Italy, look at Russia, look at Brazil. What do they do? With people look like at Italy. Here we are in Italy. What do they do with people like us? We take them and we kill them. I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. What are we, they doing in Italy? They've done a lot of suppression of, you know, we keep moving down. There's some like international thing that ranks press openness and we're down now at number 43 on the list. <laughs> we're like, we're well below. Uh, some Wait, of the Don country. Lemon is, is frowning so much and shaking his head. I know he's. How pissed. can Don Lemon shake his head that much and and journalism not be free? Well, because of him, people like him, they sold out. They wouldn't question the power of money, Lee. The power of. Money. Oh, I like Don. Don Lemon's all right, but you know it's funny. Jesse Ventura. I can't even do a Jesse Ventura, but uh, we might have talked a lot about this before. But like when when we were going off in the uh, the march to war in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, MSNBC towed the company line, just like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, and basically everybody except Barbara Lee and uh, my man Bernard, when everyone was marching off to war and saying Zig Heil to George W., Jesse Ventura had a program on MSNBC said, I'm not going to support this fucking war. I'm a, I, I'm a Navy SEAL. I've done this. I know what war is and I know how costly it is. And I refuse to support a war that has no purpose. And they said, okay, well, we're taking you off the air. And he said, okay, well, you have a contract with me and you're not taking me off the air for cause. So you have to continue to pay me for the duration of my contract. So they, pay, but he couldn't do any other programming. So they paid him for his silence. So he went and bought this like awesome villa in Mexico and just lived down there for four years and then came back and did a true TV show. <laughs> so wow. we need more Jesse Venturas, the kind of guy who will say, I don't know. He'll say things like the man show is the best show on television, or he'll call someone the bad F word in a predator movie. But at the end of the day, He's on the side of fuck war and fuck these authoritarian fucks. So what does a, a monastic life look like? Say, like, let's say we were in Russia right now. Well, or, or, 
or project us a year from now in the U.S. What what is a monastic life? What does it look like? Well, I think it, in terms of like your clothing and your possessions, I think it means like when your shirt rips, you sew it up rather than go to the Gap, or you if you don't have a sewing kit, then you go down to the Saint Vincent de Paul. If you don't mm. have money for the Saint Vincent de Paul, you volunteer, and at the end of the day, say, "Hey, can I have this shirt?" Uh, in terms of food, uh, I think the monastic life. Try if you have room on your property. If you have a little uh, place to grow uh, some some plants, or you know, have a couple chickens roaming around, try to do that. Uh, I have a bunch of wood that's left over from this fencing that they made in our in our house, and you know, my first reaction is, oh God, why they leave all this wood? And I realized, oh, I'm just going to start building tables and shit. So I've been mm. horrible at it, but I've just been building stuff, which feels oh, so yeah. good. Feels so good. So look around and see what you can do. do. You, can you plant trees in the ground? Do you have ground space? Uh, we do out front. Back is just kind of concrete and I'm, astroturf. I'm trying to plant. I'm, my, my thing is turning sticks and seeds into at food. Nice. So I've got a whole bunch of – my newest thing is my friend gave me some moringa. Look it up later. Ooh, okay. It's a great drought-tolerant bean-giving tree. <laughs> that sounds like a Shel Silverstein book. Oh, I know, but this tree. is all over the world. It's a it's a lifesaver for a lot of people. I'm basically trying to grow. My goal is within a few years growing two thousand pounds of food a year. Wow! Some for our house, some for neighbors. Can I start getting chickens and killing them because I really want to do it for sure. Just realize that when we had them in Oakland, we had to build uh, a mesh cage on all sides because raccoons and um, mainly raccoons would get in and slaughter them. Nice. That's yeah. cool. I had a friend who, uh, he once said, you know, I'd be a vegetarian, but I hate chickens too much. I know. That's a good, I love that line. <laughs> I don't think I could, I don't think I could kill like a mammal. Like I couldn't like shoot a deer or something, but a chicken, yeah, I, chicken I'd gleefully so fucking cut their head off. Dude, get some chickens. I'm going to build a little tilapia run, get a little yeah. fish thing going. Ooh. Um, oh yeah. I want to try to grow enough like grains i'm not going to do i'm still going to buy my grains but in yeah. a few years i want to be set up where i can give food away and other than go. grains have everything here beautiful that's perfect monastic living yeah yeah um and i'm an urban monast and you know every once in a while monast i think it's this monk <laughs> oh it's monk i, thought, well, I like I the idea of monast yeah monast because i don't i mean the, can that be your monks. rap name benjamin bonasti monasti monast yeah because like what are the jews the jews jews aren't called monks yeah it's rabbis Rabbi. yeah but not like monasti or like monast i like benjamin monasti i think that's yeah funny. benjamin dj benjamin monasti <laughs> and it's spelled with a challah for the c h there ain't no challah back now I ain't well, no black girl. So I'm gonna be growing. So yeah, I've, I've got. I'm. I'm really. I've got a whole lot of little nursery things going. There's oh, there's a tomato tree called Tomate de Ar Tomate de Arbol. Oh, I love a little tomato. So it's a, it, the trees will last usually for ten years. Uh huh. And they provide a little bit of shade. So I'm experimenting with some seeds right now. Um, but yeah, this fall I'm gonna start planting stuff, and once. I got a good little thing going if you want a few uh, saplings. Great. I'd I love can. it. A dude yeah. came by. We had this this rose bush that's like there was one rose blooming on it. But this dude, 
uh, Bernard. I'm so happy to know Bernard in real life now. That's I thought awesome. there was he this old dude, he comes by and he's like, Can I have your can I have one of those branches? And I was like, Yeah, sure. And I went and like clipped it off. He's like, I'm gonna try to grow it. And I gave it to him. And then he came by yesterday walking his dog. And I was like, Did you plant it? He's like, Yeah, I planted it. So like that to me seems like the the monastic life. That's awesome. Wait, what is, kind of tree? Oh, it's just a rose bush. Oh, rose bush. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's perfect. So my wife's going to work on, she's going to try to get this rose bush to, to be in fruition. And uh, Bernard's going to work on it like that. I love, you know, my, my other neighbor, she's got puppies and her, her dog, Mama Sita had puppies. So she's trying to unload the puppies. And I'm like, part of me wants to get another puppy, but I can't, but so I'm trying to find someone else to take the puppy. And like, I'm just, I'm so happy to have like neighbors that were like helping each other. And, oh, it's amazing. And it was cool. It's like, you got to fill into your neighborhood. Like for me, one of my neighbors loves playing music. So I'm trying yeah. to convince my, my two wives to jam out with him more often. Yeah, your and other, your, your wife, one wife is a marimba player and the other wife is a, is a shredder, a guitarist. Yeah. And a banjo's got banjo now too. Oh yeah, I saw that in the back of his. So video. I'm trying to get them to jam out. The guy on the other side has spent a lot of time outside in his garden, so I've been trying a to do a lot that. of time. That I can tell you. <laughs> so what else? What else do we have going on? Are we? Are we? Gonna, well, uh, the the most important part of the the of being monasty is a way of finding inner peace and satisfaction, and that doesn't mean that you completely block out everyone. You should always. Uh, be attuned to the needs and emotions of those around you, whether it's your family, your children, you know, your parents, your children, your wife, your neighbors. Um, but you shouldn't need their validation or professional validation or likes or downloads for you to, to feel validated. I feel validated by recording this program because we got to talk about some things and I got to talk to my friend and my illustrious colleague and they're both the same person. And I've always been a person who has a very satisfying inner world. And that is so, and so puttering around uh, uh, my house uh, to me is just wonderful. And the thing, and, and it's actually made me better at uh, uh, my day job as well, because, um, and you, I think you do this as well, you know, wake up, do some of the, do some of the work for work. Then, you know, take a lap around the house and clean up whatever needs to be cleaned up. Come back in, have your next meeting, do something. So, you know, you end up still getting your eight, nine, 10 hours of work per day, but interspersed in there, you also physically do something. Because like you always say, mm -hmm. it should, right now when you're, you're young, you sit in an office all day for people, for yups like us. And then when you're older, then you get to like go kayaking or, or putter around in your garage. Your, uh, your your garden it should be the opposite when you're a young buck mm -hmm. when your back still works you should be out lugging stuff around and then when you're old then you sit around in a cubicle farm mm -hmm. if you have to and i heard oh the other thing i heard on tom hartman he was talking about marx and uh and looking at ecology and capitalism and things like that but one of the things i liked and this wasn't an original idea of marx it came from someone else but he gracho made it this came from Popo, actually yes exactly is the idea of looking historically that people found art in their work. Like if you look at yes. the craftsmanship of things. Yes. And so the way he looked at it is like, if a job does a job alienate the person. And in that case, it's, it's just the capitalistic relationship between boss 
mm. worker and work to be done. So I was like, is my job alienating? And I was like, you know what? It really isn't. Maybe no. little things here and there, but I was like, I think I can find more art. So it's the coming to peace. And I like yes. the framing that I heard today. I think it was Richard Wolf who was being interviewed by Tom Hartman. I can't totally remember, but it's the art in the, in the job. Mm. And, you know, we don't obviously have jobs where our work is alienating in any no, I, real I major way. Exactly. Like there's little things here and there, obviously, but you know, there's always going to be some tension in any hierarchy, but yeah. whatever. So I was like finding art in it. So yeah. So we go, we do a little of this, like you were saying, the puttering around all day, but not, but and it's I'm, and I'm sweeping, the, I, I'm cleaning up the, the parkway and the, the street in front, in front of me. So, exactly. you know, I mean, how's the weather where you are? Is it like constantly cool and beautiful? It's cool and beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, another, so yeah, I found all, I have all that wood in the garage. Also the new Xbox game system is coming out this fall and I wanted to get it. But then I realized as I was unpacking my stuff, I got old Nintendos, old Sega Genesis. I have like this old TV sitting around that I wasn't using. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build an arcade cabinet. Ah. and i'm gonna finish it sand it i'm gonna put like a little uh cup holder in it and a little like cigarette holder <laughs> so you can just uh so people will be able to come in the garage and like have a drink and like uh you know play you know galaga or something i got some good sanders if you want to sand it down right. before you finish it yeah pops and i we made a uh, six in the morning lows run oh. so and he spent my pops who loved smoking the ganj we he, we went and he bought a bunch of stuff for for our house at at lowe's and it came out to exactly 420 dollars. <laughs> that's incredible hey remember too and the monas would also buy you stuff if it's already out in the world yes correct interpersonal but i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but that's incredible yeah i mean yes in, ter in terms of like finding like a rake yeah i should do better at trying to find a used thing but in terms of like getting a new power drill like Back. No, some of the old ones are actually better. Really? The battery I can life, tell right? you. Uh, no, the internal motor, the mechanics. Ah, okay. Yeah, I can tell you what right. brand I'm still locked, We don't have to do this on air. I'm still locked into my, you know, I'm still trying to overcome my capitalist crap. You know what I mean? Like the satisfaction of, I just love opening like a new tool or electronics. I just do. I see. But it, it goes back to like the kind of fetishization of, like fake old stuff because a lot of the stuff in my house like this phone over here is actual vintage stuff and then other mm -hmm. things like the not the microphone i'm using now but the uh the sure 55 the sure 55 is a you know the microphone itself is like 60 years old the design is 60 years yeah. old but mine is like the modern is a modern version so there's plenty of sure 55s like sitting around out there but um i ended up getting the new one Hey, Lee, think about it this way, though. You like opening the package, but you also like surprises. I yes. bought one of the, the, the uh, circular saw I bought, laser-guided. Yeah. It's a really high-end one. Beautiful. Cheaper than the new one. And the guy gave me a bunch of plant clippings Great. that are doing quite well. Uh, another thing we once sold, some paint, she ended up giving us another plant. So there's the element of surprise when you buy it. Mm. You never know quite what you're coming home with. There you go. That's nice. And so, you know, As and you'll is, start baby. getting, yeah. Cool. But dude, it's, well, yeah, maybe you'll let uh, an old East Sider come West one day. Yeah. Come on, monk around. Um, All right. When I'm back from my uh, woods, woods, 
Excellent. All right, man. Well, it's been good talking to you. It has been. Are you going to uh, edit this for concision? Let's see. How long have we been potting? We've been potting for what? An hour and a half? Before? Yeah. Are you going to keep in all, everything? Oh, no. I try to. I mean, I try to keep things to, like about an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. I don't know. Maybe. Sometimes, like when we did that, when we did the, the episode uh, during the height of the protests, that was like two and a half hours or something. Yeah, but we needed to get it out there. Needed to get it out. Um, but I'm glad that today had, you know, we did talk about the rise of fascism and the fall of freedom, but I think we did get some through some positive stuff today. Yeah, we bought it. We just kept thinking, how does a monass live? <laughs> yep. I would say, you know, a lot of people have been saying, oh, I appreciate you. My wife said, I appreciate you. Or, you know, as someone at work. Oh, we do. We try to do daily appreciations of this yes. house, too. It's I think we though. all need to find, where are we going to find that spiritual thing that we've all lost in this yes. consumption-driven capitalism? Because it's going to destroy us or the planet, not uh, the planet, but our ability to inhabit it. Or yes. just people's, free, all sorts of things it's just laying waste to. Not just physical, a lot of mental so where do we find those spiritual uh, either breaks or guidance or frames of mind, things like that, and things as simple like you are yeah. doing that too, appreciations throughout the day. Yeah. Well, my what I was going to say is anytime someone says I appreciate you, it's usually after I've had to do something that sucks. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah, we just do like random ones, like appreciate something. Yeah. But I say that to other people too, because I'm trying to make it just, I appreciate people even when I'm, when I'm doing something for them. I'm mm-hmm. the kind of person who I will, when I say, when I help someone with something in an email, I'll end the email with thank you. Mm-hmm. It seems weird in a way, but, it, but it, I'm so appreciative of the work that we get to do and the people around me that when a challenge comes up that needs to be overcome or something breaks and needs to be fixed it's like thanks for letting me know thanks for yeah it's interesting when i was working with that old professor at berkeley he got me he moved me from thank you to thanks saying that thank you feels a little too like thanks feels more personal yeah i give because it's unless but people are like no but thank you is more whatever it's like thanks only sounds flippant if you have thanks. reason to believe the person is an asshole, right? Thanks. But that's not how most people use it. Most people, the friends, be like, "Hey, thanks." thanks. You don't say, "Hey, thank you." So I was like, I, "Oh, so I always do thanks." Nice. I I had a boss who tr- he tried to break me of saying no problem because he was yeah. always like, if you're talking to a, a customer, a client, or a colleague, and you say no problem, it's like you're basically saying, "Oh, there's a problem." By saying no problem, you're pointing out that this is a problem, but it's not a problem yeah. for you. Or if it, and if it's not a problem, it's like, well, what would it have been some other way? Like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, it's like, why frame it as a potential problem? Or no worries. It's like, what's the worry? No worries. Was- oh, I do no worries all the time. Yeah, we, all, we do only, a lot of negation. But it's only when someone when when someone says I'm late to a meeting, I'm like, no worries. Oh, yeah. that's I do that then, too, yeah. You think like, I'm, oh, I'm judging sorry, I'm you because you're late? Like, no. Yeah. If someone's late in real life, like if I'm like, meet me at the movies and they're late, uh, that pisses me off. But if they're late to a meeting, like I'm like, I can do other things like before the meeting comes i'm just yeah you know so whatever all right man let's sign off huh let's sign off uh for lee for ben for the all you monasty men and women out there i'm lee singer golden 
And you've been listening to me talk on the internet. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Lee. No problem. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay, man. No worries. Okay, no worries. Okay, no problem. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, here's uh, oh, preach. I like that one. What the heck is that? Like, I appreciate you. Just like, oh preach. my god, just say the word. Preach. This was yeah. This was. I guess the show's already over. But this was during the height of like totes of like like early 2010s. Like everything was just like we totes gotta like preach each other. Oh, that's weird. I know. I thought that it's just like it was funny for a second, but now sucks. All right, man. I will talk to you soon. Adios. Are you um? Are you gonna stop recording?